Welcome to the Breakthrough Advisor Podcast. In this podcast, we inspire advisors with ideas and pathways to break through barriers and build a thriving retirement income business. We will interview innovative technology developers, business leaders, and successful advisors, then help you organize and execute these ideas to move your business forward. Hey, welcome to the Breakthrough Advisor podcast. I'm Jack Martin. I'm the virtual CMO for InsureMark. I want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us today. I'm super excited to have Steve Gresham and Mike Harris from the Alliance for Lifetime Income with us today. They're they're here to talk to us about what may be one of the, the greatest opportunities for financial advisors in, in the last decade uh, to do great things for their clients and great things for their practice. Steve Gresham, Mike Harris, uh, welcome to the Breakthrough Advisor podcast. How are you guys doing today? We're doing just great, Jack. Thanks for having us. Thanks for letting us be on today. Absolutely. Hey, if folks don't know the Alliance for Lifetime Income, shame on them, but tell us a little bit about what what, what the Alliance is about real quick. The, okay. the Alliance is a, is a, is a non-for-profit organization that's targeted on educating people and may bring up awareness of the need for having enough protected income uh, in their lifetime, especially when they're retired, to get them through a, through a, a retirement in a very successful manner. And that's what we're focused on. The Alliance is an interesting organization to us because we've both been in the industry for longer than I can possibly remember, along with you, Jack. And one of the things that we know is helpful for advisors, their firms, everyone, is to better understand the consumer. The Alliance, at the end of the day, is a champion of the consumer. So we could be looking sideways at competitors all the time, but it's always been, I think, the very, very best best path is to follow that consumer and try to catch up. I, I couldn't agree more. So for several years now, you, you know, the the press, the conferences, you know, thought leadership has, has been all about, should you use annuities or not use annuities? Where do annuities fit? Am I a pro-annuity guy? Am I an anti-annuity guy? And I think we're at the point where we, we can just say, hey, the debate is over. The, the longevity risk is not going to get solved with a systematic withdrawal plan, period, end of story. We've got more centenarians uh, in the United States today than at any time in, in history, and that number is only going to continue to explode. So reality is people are living longer. The, and the old plan for Monte Carlo and figuring out, you know, what's the probability the money's going to last really is out the window. So wh what do you, how, how do you guys feel about that? Yeah, let me start with that. And then Mike has got the, the 30 years of, of advanced planning experience leading that group, you know, for a major farm. Uh, so we can fill in with some of the specifics. But one of the things that I see coming from the wealth management and asset management world is most of my background is that we've already been through this movie once before. Well, you know, years ago when I started, everyone was a stockbroker. So you sold a product and then you moved on. And then an entire legion took over from there because the consumer, as I said a second ago, consumer led us away from that. We were just chasing the consumer. The consumer wanted more consistent performance. They wanted transparency of the product solution. And that's where we got what most, most advisors are using today, which is some form of asset management solution, Jack, as you alluded to. But again, a swip off a managed account, that, that's not a retirement plan. And so most of these people now looking at the opportunity to be able to protect what they've got, protect what they've accumulated. And the theme keeps coming up over and over and over again, protect, protect, protect. 
And our industry needs to change its view of retirement as something that is not just a new stage for this client, but the client sees an actual terminal point to it all. We don't like to talk about stuff like that. We don't talk to clients a lot about what are you going to do between now and when you die? But that is exactly the way most clients view it. And they want to be able to survive with independence, with dignity, and a level and a certain level of certainty. And I think that's kind of what we're missing out on. We're not meeting them there. And you know, I I've been in the business for more years than I like to think and been retired and back working again. But you know, dealing with clients over 35, 40 years in the business and talking to them from a planning perspective, you know, it, it's pretty simple, really. Is we talk about the easy things like the needs, wants, and wishes, and the the thing that's hard to think about is people think that annuities are an either or situation. You know, either I'm going to own one and that's going to be everything I'm going to have, or I'm not, and it's not. It's it's a slice, just a pure slice of a nice thought out diversified portfolio, and the the annuity fits right down there, at the very bottom of the pyramid in that needs section to make sure you're covering all your needs that are true needs. And then the nice fun things, the wants and the wishes all come above it. And so the annuity plugs in where the pension and the social security goes. And it's something that you can regulate, you know, figure out how much you need to make sure that if there's any gaps, that's where the annuity fits. And it's that simple. It's not rocket science. It's just good planning techniques. So our client base is not a homogeneous group. Right. There there are lots of different flavors of clients uh, that as a financial advisor I had and that the financial advisors listening to this have. So what are the what should they be looking for? Who are uh, where's the low hanging fruit? Who are good candidates for a protected income based on the research that the alliance has done? And maybe talk a little bit about how you got to the conclusion about the who, the how and, and the and the why. So. Yeah. So again, let me uh, just toss out that the Alliance did uh, pretty significant research, does uh, very significant research every year, because again, if you're going to be the champion of the consumer, you have to be continually asking them where they are, what's going on. Not because the clients are always right. The consumer is always right. It's because a lot of times they don't know what they really need, but it is important to understand where their headset is because as Mike will explain uh, in a few minutes, I'm sure, an awful lot of the, of the decisions that these people make are emotional. But the, uh, the Alliance was able to identify five different specific categories, what we would call investor personalities, the way people make decisions. And those investor personalities are very distinct. Three of the five actually fit really well with the concepts of protection and protected income. Two of the five do not. So one of the things I think, Jack, is so important about what you just said, in the heterogeneity of a, of a typical book, even inside of a family, you're going to have somebody who might be one of the five, and then someone else is going to be a different one of the five, and you might end up having three or four of them out of the entire of, the, of that entire list might be right in that same family. So it's very possible that you are, in some cases, creating a solution for somebody that fits one of our best categories we would call the cautious preparer. Well, the cautious preparer that actually we saw first in the study was somebody that, when we looked deeper, was married to someone who was a very highly confident, self-directed investor. He, in a million years, he, 
would never have bought an annuity. He didn't believe in annuities. He actually didn't believe in managed assets or managed accounts because, again, he was self-directed. She was a cautious preparer. And when he passed away, she actually acquired both managed account and a couple of annuities because she wanted to have a solution that was more something that she could be more comfortable looking at because she didn't have to manage it. But so, Mike, you know, about those, uh, I'm sorry, Jack, go ahead. There are a lot of stuff to unpack in what you just said. But before we leave that point and, and get to Mike, so that's a good reason why 70% of the financial advisors are going to get fired by the surviving spouses, <laughs> you know, because they built these portfolios for the husband. They didn't engage the wife. And now she's going to make it fit what she wants, right? Not what uh, the not what the 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 non-surviving spouse wanted, right? Well, it's worse than that because basically what happens is that if you know if your family is anything like mine or Mike's, you know there is somebody that's very engaged in the investment stuff. There's somebody who's not, and then when the person who you know if that person who was very engaged disappears, and I've seen both men and, and women, so is Mike. Uh, that might have been that most engaged person. But when they're, it just seems to be the luck of the draw that they're the ones that go first, whether they're a woman or a man. The surviving spouse issue is really, really interesting because over the years, one of the things that we've noticed is that it's not so much the surviving spouse that pulls the trigger. The surviving spouse is actually following the recommendations of adult children that they have, so who possibly have their own advisors. So there's a conflict in there that most advisors are not aware of. They think they should be talking to the unengaged spouse. Really, they should be going an awful lot deeper because their future may be in those people's hands. That's a great insight. Hey, Mike, before we leave, before we dive into that, what, what were you going to say about Persona? Well, it's interesting about Personas, too, is you take a couple, you know, such as myself and, and my wife, uh, we've been married for 52 years, so you kind of become in sync. You know, and, and I do most of the investing, but my wife is in, engaged with my financial advisors, both of them. But if I were to pass, I think my wife's investing personality would change a little bit. I think there's other things that come into play then. Now you're now it's all by you're by yourself. There's a little more risk, a little more worry, a little more concern. Maybe it's about the kids that she didn't really bring into the mix as much because we were kind of homogeneous at that point, you know, a couple for that long, get to think of like one drops out of the picture and things change. So as an advisor, you may know your clients. And if you've got a, a married couple, you may know them pretty well, but don't think that just because one day everything's going to continue down the same path because we change under, under certain life events, especially big events, your personality and your thoughts and your emotions change and adjust and we got to stay on top of that so you know that's a great point and uh, um it, being able to adapt you know the approach uh mm -hmm. for the surviving spouse I, I get that message but is there something in this um that speaks to the advisor about maybe a slightly different allocation between the viewpoints of the, the 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 husband and wife you know as you're building the portfolio you start to think about that so uh or start to talk about that or is that a subject for another day no i, I don't think it is i think i think you know you always want to keep in tune with the client and and there's as steve mentioned there's this uh, personality investing personality that everybody has a personality but personalities adapt and adjust 
But you also have the emotional side that comes, and we can get into that in a little bit later. But emotions, you know, the, the, the saying is we, we persuade through reason. That's when we're dealing with a client all day, sitting over the kitchen table and talking about here's a great portfolio and here's the managed money and here's this. That's the reasoning. That's the back and forth to help them understand what the product is. But the saying says we persuade through reason, but we motivate through emotion. And no matter how well you explain something to the client, how great this is, what it does, and why on a Wednesday or a Tuesday it does certain things, and that's when you say, and that's why I think we ought to move forward with this. And they say, yeah, it sounds good. Let me think about it. Now, everybody's had that happen a lot. And if you haven't, then you don't have many clients. You're not talking to anybody. What they're telling you is, I am not emotionally ready to make that decision. How do you get them emotionally ready? You don't. It's hard to do unless you know what emotions are running around in their mind, what makes important, what makes sense to them, and how you get them by that. Because we're not trying to trick anybody into doing anything. We're trying to get them out of their own way. Because clients, a lot of times, that's behavioral finance, tells us we make a lot of bad decisions because of un kind of what we call them, you know, buried emotional defenses. Right. How do we get rid of those? Right. Yeah. The way we're wired does influence our decision making, no doubt about it. Absolutely. And, you know, the way we frame the question, the way we have that conversation, you know, and and, and the way we try. I, I love the way you say get them out of their own way. Uh, the the, the BHAV guys are saying, look at your future self. How do you get them into that future self mode to start to imagine what that's going to be like? So, yeah, I'm, I'm totally on board with what you're talking about there. So I, I'm sorry, I the back to the who. So are there other mm -hmm. personalities that we 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 should pay attention to? I know I heard you say there are three that we want to be looking for. So who are the others and how do you how do you find how do you determine who is what personality? Do you guys have some kind of an assessment tool that that they can take? I mean, I it's not a blood test, you know, is there <laughs> is there something a retinal scan that we can do yeah. that says, you know, which person persona does this person fall into? How's that? Yeah, work? no little cups, no little cups are involved. No, no, I wasn't going there. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, go ahead. Jump, you handle that side of it. You understand that. <clears throat> Yeah, so the uh, I mentioned the cautious preparer. So it's you know these are the people that have much more of a concern about the situation that's forward. As Mike just said, their circumstances have changed. People have a kind of a risk orientation that's already embedded. You tend kind of to be risky, you know, risk averse or risky depending on on your preference. That is the part that doesn't really change. If you're risk averse, you're always going to be risk averse. If you're risky, you're always going to be a bit risky. But what Mike is saying is that your circumstances change. Now you're responsible for other people. Now you look at it in a different way. You're actually solving a completely different problem. So the cautious preparer is basically is, is describing more so an approach to the situation than it is something that you'd be able to identify, like if you were out bird watching and you saw some of the right color feathers. So there really is no shortcut in as we look at these personalities. And again, you know, we've got a tool that can help you do that. So that's going to be part of the takeaway from the session here. Get on that tool so that you can now better understand who's in front of you. But there's no shortcut to finding out who they are without talking to them. And so asking them if they're comfortable. And so I want to go back to something Mike said a minute ago. It was a really great question that you had, Jack, which is if you're working along the way with a couple, let's say, and you know they're actually involved in the process, which is unusual, 
unfortunately, as we know that all too often in this investing world, advisors are not pulling those people in. <clears throat> but if you have that, as Mike said, they're right there. So you want to be checking all the time because this is how you're going to determine the investing personality of that person who is more unengaged because you're going to get a feel for what they're thinking about. You do not want that person to be silently making an opinion of, of you because you haven't given them a chance. Exactly. So <clears throat> so the tool is going to show you how to talk to the cautious preparers and the purposeful planners. And then we've got a couple more in there, the uncertain strugglers, as well as the optimistic dreamers. And you're going to have a shot at each of these people. But I think one of the most important things that we see when we work, as we do all the time with top advisors, is that they know that it isn't a single person's decision. And so they begin to understand this uh, concept that, that we say all the time, retirement is a family affair. So you're going off into a new chapter of your life and the circumstances have changed and it is different for everybody. It is absolutely different for everybody because you know one of the things that's interesting as we talk about annuities is being in part protection against the, the risks of longevity. The issue that we have as an industry and as a society is not retirement per se, it's longevity. Retirement is a subset of longevity. Longevity is the boogeyman here because we don't know how long we're going to live. My mother is not completely surprised that she's 89 and she's still around and very vibrant, but my father is not. My in-laws are not. And my mother got 15 years on each of my in-laws. Why is that? So there's a randomness about it, but those unexpected, this unexpected longevity is creating opportunities that then, if we pull some of these topics together, pull that personality into focus, and then pull the rest of these family members in at the same time. So all of a sudden, you've got practically a school bus full of people going off when you thought you only had one client. Yes, 100%. Mike? And our and our personas, the, the personas that we've kind of put together, I think, what are there, seven of them, Steve, are kind yeah. of different viewpoints, different individual possibilities. They kind of, it isn't like, okay, here's, here's a persona about Jackie, and Jackie's a 72-year-old widow. Well, that doesn't mean... You just go look for 72-year-old widows. Jackie's representative of that cautious preparer. And there are certain psychological markers that you can kind of boil things down. So you don't you don't have to be a psychologist uh, to do this. But it, it, if you are personas, then we'll show you, here's the kind of things to look for, like uh, possibly like uh, she's they're not quite uncertain. They have an uncertain outlook. They're, you're not quite sure. They may be not real optimistic yet. Certain little markers like that are easier to say, here's three or four markers that I would look for during my conversations with the client. That would give me an idea of where they're going to fit into that into that zone. And then what are the topics that I would want to discuss with them, like staying on track for the future? You know, how do you how do we get you on track and keep you on track? That's what they're uncertain about. They don't know where the direction is. So if you're you want to be able to get on their side of the conversation, so they know you're part of them, their team, and that what's looking out best for them. And those are the kind of things that you're trying to do is use, identify them, and then use the right language to help them understand that where we're going together and making the decisions. So those are all on all our personas. The markers are there. Yeah, and you know, so we can help you out with that. So don't think you have to go read any big journals and and you know, psychoanalyze them. We cut it down pretty, pretty um 
thin, so you, you know, you don't want to make it too hard. And then the the uh, the quiz that Steve was talking about, it's not only for the advisor to use, but the client can take it because then it shows them how they fit in, how many other people are like them. Everybody likes to know they're not by themselves, right? So if you take this and it says, boy, you're, you know, you're like 20% of the country. Wow. Okay. I fit in. I'm one of, you know, and so it's, you're, you're really, that's what this is all about is it's behavioral finance and, and, and emotional finance, all kind of wrapped into this, into this package that's on our website and available to everybody at no cost. Right. Yep. Personality quiz, five different categories of clients, three mm -hmm. of which are really the targets, and then seven individual personas that we've pulled out of those three categories. And that's two pages of insight into these people. So as you're talking to them, it starts to click. You start asking them the right questions. They now say the magic words, I think this person understands me. So I think as advisors, what we're learning or should be learning is that uh, we need to ask questions beyond the risk tolerance questionnaire and beyond the suitability form that uh, it, people are trusting us with their futures and the higher level of confidence they have in us the more trust they're going to they're going to put into us that me that translates into loyalty that translates into referrals that translates into share of wallet but the whole trust thing it, it derives from asking them about those questions that aren't on the risk tolerance form or the suitability form. And right. what you're saying about the, the, this process of helping them discover more about themselves and get insights into their own wiring so that they can make better decisions is right in tune with, with, with I think, where smart advisors are going today to, to get a deeper level of engagement with those clients so that they build a higher level of trust and they get that confidence uh, and, and they get that client retention. So so I, I hear you saying, you know, so different types of uh, different categories and then different personas. And, and so those are useful from a, a marketing perspective, from a targeting perspective, but they're and they're useful from an interaction perspective. What other uh, what what other things would you say from a practice management perspective advisors should be doing to to really uh, optimize their practice for this opportunity? Okay. Well, let's, let's tag team this one again. One of the things I think is so critical is we watch advisors that have up until now have primarily been working with market-based investments. And when they enter this land of protection, whether it's long-term care, preventing the risk of premature death with life insurance, or providing longevity protection and a little bit of certainty for the consistency of income with annuities, there's a common theme there. Now you're going total balance sheet on these clients. And so one of the things that, that we think is so critical is understanding the most efficient, I want to underscore that word, the most efficient use of the assets of the client. It makes perfect sense to most advisors when you say, well, you know, the client could save $100,000 to give to their kids when they pass, but it would be a lot cheaper than 100000 to buy $100,000 worth of death benefit through life insurance. Nobody ever complains about that, but that is exactly what's going on with the annuity. 
the annuity is a theoretically unlimited, you know, all until life, end of life payment. And the benefits of that upfront are magnified when you're having the engagement with the clients who are actually quite anxious and wondering where their retirement paycheck is coming from. So you can solve a near-term problem, which is one that, as Mike said, is more emotional, but you can also solve it mathematically. And there are situations where some of these products actually give the client more bang for the buck. And I don't know any, I don't know any advisor that uses managed assets that can provide that level of certainty that they could with one of these products. So again, as Mike said, it's a slice. It's not the total solution, but it's something you want to think about because it does also show the clients, my opinion, shows the clients that you're very much more sophisticated than the person who just throws their money in the market. Right. You know, and and theories, you know, things like, you know, using that slice of the portfolio to generate that especially on non-qualified assets, you, if you're going to really do it right, get some tax efficiencies to it and let the annuity be the workhorse or the engine generator. You know I mean? If I can get squeeze maximum amount of income out of that slice of my portfolio in a down market where that port side of the income does not fluctuate and possibly the, uh, the more growth oriented side of an asset mix does fluctuate when it goes down you put less pressure on that side of the equation to maintain your income well the less you take out of that the more shares you have left over for when it comes back so it, it does make sense long term to use the annuity as that workhorse for generating the cash flow that's stable and guaranteed and putting less pressure on non-guaranteed assets it makes sense both during while the client's life and which one passes better wealth, uh, wealth? Which one is a better wealth transfer vehicle upon death? It's right. not an annuity. It's life insurance, and it's step up in basis on on uh, non qualified, non guaranteed assets. Yeah, to you your know, point, there's Steve. a lot of just strategies, planning strategies. Yeah, to your point, Steve. I I, I think uh, any clear thinking advisor who runs the analytics is going to see your point about efficiency, that by allocating that slice to the annuity, you're actually able to, to allow the client to invest more aggressively and create a wider margin for error for them. You know, And that those are just two ways of looking at the efficiency coin. So have we talked about the how, how they implement this yet? I think we're already there. You know, we're starting to talk about how do you actually deploy? And one of the things I think is so important is to have some of those strategies, Jack, that that someone has executed because we say all the time that every client is different, but there are more similarities than there are differences. That's one of the things you find in the in the work with the personas. So if we've teed up anybody that is uh, listening to us here, if we've teed them up with the these basically their case studies of these seven individual personas that they can talk to, and then here's the the personality quiz to help them understand how to engage a little bit better who that is. The next part is that how, which is how are we going to meet these interest demands, emotional requirements that you have that are somewhat different when you package them. But at the end of the day, you know what I'm going to say, which is they might be seven different approaches to seven different people. Well, four of them are, are individuals and three of them are couples. But you might have seven different stories of how you tell the story, but the underlying solution is going to be a lot of similarity there. So knowing where those efficiencies are, I think, is, is part of understanding the how. And again, when you create a good solution for somebody, 
and it's something that they didn't think of themselves, that's the stuff they talk about. And that is, of course, as you know, Jack, that's where the referral comes from. So as you were describing that, I was thinking for three decades, we managed money for affluent families here in in Dallas. And the answer to their problems was very consistent. You know, we're going to take a diversified approach to allocating in different asset classes on a global basis, you know, so it's kind of like mm-hmm. the answer is the same to whatever way you want to frame the, the the question, right? The, 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 the problem in this case is longevity. And, right. you know, I, I think that, you know, the, the concept of, of longevity risk has been largely academic. Uh, and, and when you start to bring it home and you start to talk about the fact that my parents are 93 and 90, you start to talking about other people in your family, you start talking about the reality of what that looks like in that, that third trimester of retirement, where are they going to have enough income? And so many of these Monte Carlos aren't, you know, you run out of income, but rather the amount of income that you're going to be able to get goes down is, is the answer, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, the plan was for ten thousand a month, but you know, I'm still getting five thousand a month, but that doesn't cover the overhead anymore. And mm-hmm. you know, you start thinking about quality of life and anxiety and all those kinds of things. They become very real. It's not an academic discussion anymore. Something you guys said earlier, I, I want to close on be, before we sign off, and and that's that you know, when the first spouse pi- passes and you're having that conversation with their surviving spouse, that it's really not the surviving spouse who's driving the bus, but it's probably the adult children uh, who are helping drive the bus, right? So does that, that to me, that suggests that maybe we need to start having these conversations, uh, you know, as a family. And and I know a lot of advisors have embraced this notion of the family meeting, you know, let's get all the, uh, you know, the expert, you're, you're all your advisors loaded into a vault, let's get all your documents in a vault, let's make sure everybody understands who's on first. But I, I think we're missing this opportunity here, aren't we? Yeah, for the most part. So, you know, and Mike's got a lot of real world experience with this, so he can add in here the, some of the color. Uh, one of the most significant issues is to not mistake some kind of documents and entries on documents and document storage for a relationship. That's not what's going to make this thing go. And so involving the involving the adult children so they have a chance to see how you are treating their parents, that is actually the key to intergenerational wealth transfer that so many organizations talk about all the time, but very few actually pull off. So, but it takes time, you know, and this is one of the issues that we have with the industry overall. You know, one of the things that advisors may be wanting to do right now is to be very cautious about who they suggest is going to stay in that book as they move towards retirement. It is a very different gearing ratio to be able to cover a number of people in the complexity of retirement. And you don't want to be disappointing people because that word gets around as well. So if you don't have time for somebody, it's going to be just like that physician or that contractor or that painter. And if you're too busy to go see them, that's going to get around. You don't want that to backfire. So one of the practice management issues around the how right now, which includes that family conversation, is to determine who is it you're going to be able to keep going with, who you actually have rapport with, and will you be able to take that family into the next generation and the generation after that? It's an investment not something that you are pushed to the wall to decide now. I can tell you from personal experience, having gone from the parents to the children to the grandchildren in some cases, exactly what you're talking about, that do I want these people as clients? 
you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and yes, do I have the capacity or the, the structure or the systems to be able to manage them? But do I want these people as a client? So yeah, have that conversation with yourself, you know, before you jump into the fire, right? Uh, Mike. Well, you know, all I was going to say is one thing you always have to realize in those conversations, especially when you're into the families, there's two or three children and you got, you know, in-laws, you know, you got the, the, the kid, the child by marriage, you know, the son-in-law, daughter-in-law, you can't get them all. Even if you want them, you can't get them. You know, the numbers just say no. So if, if you, like you said, if you can find the right ones, but one thing that I always try to do and help advisors with is helping them understand how to have that conversation themselves with their children, how to prepare a document that says, this is what I have, this is the way it's lined up, this is the way we've set up, and this is why, this is how it's going to benefit you, my advisor helped me with it. Now you get a little conversation and a little credibility by, by not even being there, just by the fact that you help the client help the children, right? You can't always be there live talking to the kids. They're all around the country. Help the patient or help the, the I said, the client help the kids and yeah. and you'll get a lot of benefit out of that. Yeah. That's good guidance. Well, you guys have been awesome. Uh, anything you want to say as we wrap up? No, nope, I'm just going to close with an anecdote that Mike and I picked up from a top advisor uh, not too long ago. He was actually going up on a panel with a couple other advisors. And we've all been to those meetings where the top advisors tell their story and, and you hope that you can be like them sort of thing. And, and we don't always really feel that way. But this guy was interesting because he had just followed a panel that had been up of clients and the clients were up there. They were uniformly saying, you know, you can get pretty much everything you need online. I'm not really sure why I would need a financial advisor. And all three of them said the same thing. I always feel like they're trying to sell me something. So this advisor gets up after they walk off the stage. He comes up and and he's sitting there with a couple of colleagues. And he said, you know, before we get started, I'd like to respond to the previous panel. Do you know why sometimes when you're talking to an advisor, you feel like you're being sold something? It's probably because you need something. <laughs> Fair enough. Absolutely. Fair enough. Yeah. Yep. Uh, hey, this has been a great session, guys. I really appreciate it. Uh, you do great work. Uh, we we admire the work the Alliance does, and you guys are, are delivering a great message today. So, hey, on behalf of the Breakthrough Advisor podcast, I want to say to all the advisors who are listening to this, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, we're going to have in the, in the show notes and on the page, you'll have links to get to all the material that Mike and Steve talked about. Uh, we hope you'll connect with the Alliance for Lifetime Income. You'll support them and that this will be of great value to you in your practice. So until next time, thank you from the Breakthrough Advisor podcast. Thank you from InsureMark. Thank you for listening to the Breakthrough Advisor podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of InsureMark. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. 